Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Chuck Meyer. I'm a senior developer advocate for CloudFormation for AWS, I'm based out of New York. And I want to thank you all for coming here today uh, to find out how uh, Intuit built a frictionless infrastructure management system using AWS CloudFormation. Um, so we've got uh, Jerome Cups here. Uh, Jerome is a um, principal software uh, developer, software engineer for uh, Intuit. And he's going to talk to you about some of the things that they've been doing with CloudFormation uh, and some of the other tools in the AWS catalog. Um, but first, I kind of want to give some just sort of baseline stuff here. Um, the short answer to the question that we posed in the title is infrastructure as code and uh, using continuous delivery, right? So that's, that's it. Now you know you can, you can leave if you want, but there's obviously a little bit more to it. Um, in order to do uh, infrastructure continuous delivery, you need a couple of things, right? First of all, you need a way to define your infrastructure as code. So you need some sort of mechanism for describing your servers, your storage components, your databases uh, as code that can be templatized, uh, stored in version control, and reused. And then you need uh, some mechanism for actually getting that code out into uh, environments, right? So you need a workflow. And that workflow should be a little bit more than just sort of a launch button, right? You want something that you can actually make some uh, good decisions. You can do some validation. It can be a little bit more intelligent about how it deploys and how it sort of orchestrates across environments, right? To make sure that you have that consistency that you're looking for uh, when you're deploying infrastructure in this manner. Uh, so obviously on the, the left-hand side there, or I'm sorry, the right-hand side, um, AWS CloudFormation is our mechanism for doing infrastructure as code. So uh, CloudFormation is a service that can ingest templates uh, and make informed decisions about how to use those templates to deploy resources into your account, right? So it's a way to define infrastructure as code. Uh, once that infrastructure is in a template, you have the option to push it into version control systems, right? Uh, run diff tools against it, make sure that you understand exactly what's changed, who's changed it, uh, who you can flick behind the ear and say, don't do that again, right? Um, and also, it handles a lot of sort of the, uh, the ordering of deployment. So CloudFormation is, is smart about what resources are dependent on each other, right? That I might need that security group to be provisioned before I can actually associate it with the EC2 instance that's going to be deployed later. Um, so CloudFormation handles a lot of that for you so you don't have to organize and figure out the appropriate order to deploy your resources. Um, and it integrates very nicely with our CI/CD tools. Uh, so code pipeline, uh, code commit. Uh, you have opportunities there to do some sort of nice integrations and use some of the, the deeper features of CloudFormation that I'm going to talk about here in a second. Uh, and of course, the best thing about CloudFormation is it's not an additional charge, right? If you deploy your resources through CloudFormation, of course, you'll be, deployed, uh, you'll be uh, charged for the resources themselves, but there's no additional charge to deploy them through CloudFormation or allow CloudFormation to manage them. So just a few features I want to touch on uh, before Jerome comes up. Um, it is a templating, it, uh, there is a templating component to CloudFormation. You are going to write infrastructure as code. Uh, we provide you the ability to write that as uh, historically JSON, more recently YAML, um, which was uh, something that I was very pleased with. Uh, the ability to add comments and things like that uh, is a nice sort of added advantage of, of writing them in YAML uh, and not having to figure out uh, where I missed that closing curly brace. Um, Another interesting feature of CloudFormation is a uh, concept of change sets. So CloudFormation basically gives you sort of a, a pre-deployment step where you can have CloudFormation consume, uh, uh, look at a template, 
uh, compare it to the stack that is active right now, and give you sort of a list of the things that it's about to do, right? If it's about to change one of your resources or delete one of your resources or add something, um, you can sort of have some visibility into that, and that way you can make an informed decision about whether or not you want those actions to actually occur uh, and apply that change set. Uh, we have some ability to uh, pass values between stacks in a couple of different ways. Uh, historically, we had this uh, concept of nesting, uh, where you could sort of define a hierarchy of stacks that would have sort of an inheritance of information, right? So if you had a VPC stack and a security group stack, you can nest those together and reference resources between the two stacks, uh, which was, uh, which was a, a nice kind of mechanism. Uh, and now we've provided a, another way of sort of handling those dependencies between resources. Uh, which is the ability to uh, import and export uh, outputs, right? So if your confirmation stack has uh, some values that you want to output that you think other people would want to consume, um, CIDR block ranges, subnet IDs, things like that, you can actually export those into sort of a regional namespace that can then be consumed by other templates. Uh, so it's another way to sort of help with treating infrastructure as code and sort of uh, loosely coupling your, your resources as you deploy it. Uh, obviously, uh, we have the ability to um, provision continuous delivery uh, through code pipeline and through some of the other tools. I'm going to let Jerome talk to that. I don't want to steal his thunder too much there. Um, and we have the ability to put in protective controls, right? Um, so you can inject things like stack policies um, that allow you to sort of make inf uh, uh, controlled, informed decisions about how the resources that are part of that CloudFormation stack uh, are going to be handled through their lifestyle. Uh, you can make decisions about uh, if a resource is deleted, if you're allowed to delete it, uh, when it's deleted, uh, what occurs to that resource. Do you need to take a snapshot of that so you have some sort of historical record of it? Um, and more recently, we actually give you a checkbox so you can actually uh, turn off the ability to delete the entire stack, right? So if you have critical resources defined in a stack, you can actually um, set it so that that stack cannot be deleted without manually going in and turning off that protection as a checkbox. Uh, so there's a couple of different ways that you can sort of inject guardrails in um, using CloudFormation Native. But then there's some other things that you're probably going to want to do on top of that, right? You're probably going to want to have some additional validations, uh, maybe of the syntax of your templates, maybe of the resources, maybe of how they all sort of fit together. Uh, potentially, maybe there's uh, business logic that you would like to sort of layer on top, right? Um, you want to make sure that there's never a security group that has an open cider in it, things like that. Um, this is sort of where there are opportunities to sort of take a pipeline and mature it a little bit further. And I think that's where I want to bring uh, Jerome up on stage. Uh, Jerome, I'm going to let you talk a little bit more about yourself and maybe talk a little bit about how you're sort of handling some of these, these challenges. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, just a little bit about me. I'm, uh, as Chuck said, Jerome Cups. I'm a software engineer at Intuit. I've been there approximately seven years. Um, doing primarily infrastructure as code, automation, uh, and I've been in the business in various industries for about 20 years. <clears throat> so, a little bit about the agenda. Uh, we're going to tell you a bit about our journey to the cloud, a quick context on, on how we're doing data that into it, and then I'm going to talk about what our experience in managing infrastructure as code was like, uh, and then the solution I'm here to show you. And then a little demo and a Q&A, hopefully, uh, at the end. Try to leave five minutes or so. So Intuit's been on this journey for a while. Um, we started in many of the classic things uh, you may remember, virtualization, a classic data center, uh, various solutions there. 
Uh, we utilize some private cloud solutions uh, off the shelf or built uh, in-house as well. Um, those, in, you know, those worked in various uh, modes for us. Uh, and we had a phase of private and public cloud, which uh, trying to do a hybrid uh, solution, which um, didn't work as well either. Kind of got chunky and, and hard to manage. So we said, public cloud's our new goal. <laughs> um, so here's kind of what it looked like from a year-to-year -year perspective. When we said public cloud's our new goal, we started with this kind of experimentation approach, uh, really quick things. Is this gonna work for us? Is it not gonna work for us? And at about 2013, we said we're, we're, we're all in. Um, this is what we wanna do. So we got a few of our early adopters, uh, did some deployments in about two, four, 2014. Not everything, but uh, it gave us a good sense of what we could and couldn't do uh, with a full product. Uh, and then we kind of sloped down there, uh, and that's where we were shifting the scale. We, uh, we wanted to get those few, uh, what we learned from the few early adopters, and really start to scale to our whole organization so everyone could get out to the cloud much easier. You know, Having just a few doesn't really tell you what everyone can do. And then finally, we're right about there at that star. We are here. But today, I'm going to talk to you about that time frame right around there. Uh, that's where our solution uh, comes into play uh, to help kind of scale up better. Managing infrastructure as code. Um, there's some pain points with doing this. Um, <laughs> I'm sure many of you have gone through this as well. Feels a bit like getting checked into the glass at hockey, but uh, you know we, we power through it. Uh, one of the issues we came across was control variability. Uh, we would end up with templates, call formation templates. We'd end up with same solution, but let's say across three different versions in three different places, be it on someone's laptop or be it on a, on a network somewhere. Uh, productivity loss. Which one do I use? How do I hunt this down? Um, how much time am I going to spend in circles uh, trying to find this one template that I'm supposed to use versus uh, one I can just make up right now? Um, could be a kind of a time suck there. And then there's a trust and confidence issue where if you're given this template and you've got four of them or you've got five of them, you know, I, I have no confidence that any of these are really good for what I need to do with my infrastructure. So first we start CloudFormation, great. We've got this uh, CloudFormation templates. Uh, maybe we, you know, spun up a directory, had a few templates uh, in a hierarchy of sorts. Uh, but what was great is, oh, well, hey, we can use a CLI and get back uh, some information and kind of wait for that. And uh, we really recognize the value of doing this. Uh, some would argue that council was better and CLI was better. I'm more of a CLI person. Um, but then, you know, maybe do something like this. And uh, it feels good enough, but this is still all on your laptop. Maybe it's on a server, EC2 somewhere, or something weird. Uh, but this kind of got you simply out there automating, even if it was you typing at a command line. But it didn't help anyone else. It just kind of sat there. So we spike it with source control. Um, you still have your templates. Maybe you have a hierarchy. You put it in uh, your favorite uh, Git repo or something. Get a bunch of these Git repos. Uh, now you can kind of find things, right? Um, but still a little disparate and, and all over the place. But it allowed you at least version things and, and keep track of it. 
And now your command line kind of looks like this, git pull, run your, your stack. Um, so this got it off your laptop, but didn't really solve the problem of finding and getting that trust of the right one, because you could still end up with four or five versions of the same template in different repos, running different semantic versions on themselves, and who knows what's, who's getting what. So we tried a big repo to rule them all. <laughs> um, that didn't work. You could still do the git pull, and you could still do the CloudFormation stack, but you've got this big repo now. Uh, this would just be multiple templates in there, and you had to go digging around to find the right one you wanted. Uh, that just got to be a mess. Um, when you would want to merge anything in after a pull request or whatever, it would be uh, a big experience. Um, so that, that kind of made things a bit messy. So we took a step back. Uh, architects and engineers went off and decided, what are, let's talk to the customers, let's figure out what we need. And customers here are our internal developers. It's not in a, out in the public internet or anything. And there are a few things that came out of that, those discussions that we realized we had to do with any type of solution to, to replace these, these experiences. One was we had to reduce the complexity of infrastructure. That meant I, I, I don't want another Jenkins box or 10 Jenkins boxes. I don't want to spin up 15 different things just to get these, these templates in, in a place where uh, it makes sense for our developers. And it has to be frictionless. And what I mean by that is not just ease of use, but it can't get in the way. Uh, how many times have you gone and downloaded a framework or this or that or a new solution? It's just been a CLI and then, oh, well, you've got to get this SDK and it just kind of becomes a nightmare there. Um, should be crafted to avoid random piles of scripts. Be it on your laptop, be it in your source control, be it anywhere, it just shouldn't be random piles of scripts because it'll be really hard to get your hands around uh, back to that kind of controlling the variability again. And it must be accessible to our customers. This kind of dovetails into the frictionless, but uh, what I really mean here is if they have to take 15 steps just to start to use the system, it is an issue. Uh, that you'll, you'll have problems getting adoption and, and such. So came up with a solution called One Intuit Patterns. Uh, we realized we needed some sort of continuous integration here to meet our developers' needs. Uh, it is code after all. Um, it can be built and tested and, and, and deployed in a traditional software sense. So our first step was a solution process flow. Um, here we took a step back and said, how should this work? How should the internal developers work with the system uh, such that they can get their changes in, but we can still keep the variability down and keep, give people something they can be confident in? So we adopted what was closer to an open source model. Um, we create a, a repo, a fork, whatever, for, or a new pattern uh, that's just a branch in Git or and then um, we develop, the user develops locally they, in their repo. They keep sync with the fork because things can come in new from master. Then finally, when they're all ready, they issue a pull request. Just a collection of changes telling the community at Intuit that, hey, I've got these things. Um, I'd like to put these in master now. And that's where our backend comes in and does the automated build test. Um, there is the part they don't really see it, but it's part of the GitHub experience for them, just like a standard CI solution. And then there's a review. 
even while all this is going on, uh, community gets involved. We've seen great involvement on our end. And developer actively responds to reviews. And any changes that come out of that review end up right back through to build test uh, as a new build and a new set of tests. And then finally, it's complete. So either we're merging to master or we're closing. It's possible we've had you know, PRs that you just aren't going to do because they didn't pan out the way you want it. So we'll close it. And the only person who can then merge to master is a role we call a curator. And they're responsible for making sure what's coming into master is what we want to go out to the rest of the community. And then finally, uh, the, after the merge, we do have artifacts. But these are CloudFormation templates, JSON, YAML. Um, they're not deployments. They artifacts in, let's say, a REST3 bucket or something like that of that nature. So solution. This is kind of what we came to. Um, so we chose GitHub, but we're using an organization. So that kind of gives us our big wrapper around things. Many repos, a repo per, per pattern here. Uh, if you've got a template for a couple of EC2s that makes sense for everyone, we create a repo, shove it in there, and uh, you're all good. That issues a pull request. We're using a webhook in, uh, in GitHub to push that through the API gateway. The API gateway then picks up uh, Lambda that then talks to GitHub to pick up all the code that we need and dumps that in S3 bucket. We've got a little touch on DynamoDB there as well for configuration, just various information we need to execute on different repos as uh, changes come in. And then finally, once it's on the S3 bucket, we end up with a code pipeline there, monitoring it. So we're using S3 as our, our way to get it in there. Our code pipeline is set up with the very common stages. Uh, we have what's a, what I call a watchdog stage. Uh, that's just a step function. I'll get to that in the next, uh, next slide in uh, more detail. But that just invokes a step function so that we can watch how the pipeline's behaving and make some determination on what to do when it fails or succeeds. Uh, we have a linter stage that we use CFN nag to basically look over all the YAML or JSON. We take both um, and determine based on rules if, hey, is this good? Does this meet? our standards uh, from a static code analysis perspective. And finally, we actually deploy it. Uh, we have the parameters and everything we need, so we deploy it into an account and, and uh, get the stack stood up. Very simple cloud formation. If you've ever seen cloud, uh, code pipeline, there's just a real simple step for doing this. The test phase uh, stage is we allow users to write self-service tests. These aren't necessarily our tests that we do for the system because we do a few of our own in this process. This is something a user checks in with the repo just in a test directory. Uh, these are Python, uh, just with bottle three, standard unit tests. Uh, we didn't want to go off and get something new. We wanted to work kind of out of the box and with minimal hassles and, and uh, dependency requirements. And then after the test stage, we have a cleanup there. Um, just got to delete everything. We don't need that hanging around. <laughs> so we clean up. So here's a step function. Um, so one of the things I, I came across uh, that, you know, there's, I think there might be better solutions to this today, but when we started, back when we did, uh, I had to use a step function to get through monitoring a pipeline, because what would happen is it would fail and we'd have to, we, we needed some notifications. We couldn't just let it fail and email wasn't good enough. So I wrote a little uh, state machine here and when the code pipeline kicks off, it kicks off this step function 
via Lambda. Once again, we're staying all serverless here. Uh, the first thing it does is checks the build state. And that's primarily its job. How is this pipeline doing? Is it failed? Is it success? Is it a suspended or a few? Is it still in progress? That, that can happen. But for simplicity here, we're looking for success fail and we just keep going. We just keep wait, retry till we find success fail. And then there's a few things we do after that. Regardless of success, success fail, uh, we write some badges, uh, your typical badges you've seen on GitHub, uh, how is the build doing, uh, how many tests, we have those two badges, you can drop those in your readme. And then the other thing we do is we write to the GitHub status API. That gives us our little green check or our little red X uh, that allows us to control whether something should come in if the build fails or not within Git. And finally, we send notifications. Uh, Rather than sending emails, we use Slack. Uh, it's a great way. We, we, we love it as a little uh, chat everything and you can subscribe to it and you don't have to worry about you know, filters and things like that. So uh, we're very dependent on that. And then we have one more little process here uh, that goes with it. So anytime you, you're building code, you're probably gonna wanna release it. This is far simpler. Uh, once again, we're back in the GitHub organization. Same thing we saw from the build. And we tap into the release webhook at this point. And that goes through the API gateway telling us, hey, there's a release. Well, what's happened here is that the curator's gone in and said, I'm ready to release version 1.0. And that fires off with that semantic version, that tag to us. And then we use a little uh, Lambda to just wrap up all that information and get that zip or whatever we need and put it into an artifact store. And at the same time, we send another notification. So this is a separate channel. If you're only interested in releases, you can only wait for releases. Maybe you don't care about all the development. So we keep it really tailored to what developers want to hear about and what they don't want to hear about most of the time. And only curators can do this, just to be clear. So if you have a PR, you can't just do a release. You, you have to have access to the master to merge it and do all that. Adoption. <laughs> so what good is the system if you can't get adoption? This is about an eight month time slice. Um, we got quite a number of patterns in there in different versions. Uh, so you'll see some variation in there going up and down as things kind of die off and new versions come in. Uh, but these are actual deployments. So we're looking for deployments of these patterns and then tracking them to make sure our users are, are using the right things. So if we go out with a, a bad version, we wanna know there's a new version uh, that's being uptake uh, really quickly if we can, as well as knowing that, hey, people like our stuff. And then on that, demo. Awesome, you ready? So we're gonna show kind of a walk through the system the experience a developer gets. Uh, we'll see some command line and we'll see some, a little sal uh, sample pattern I put together to run through here. So first thing we're gonna create our branch. Push that up to the upstream and let Git know we have this thing. Here we go and then we should be, uh, we'll switch over some code. So we're just gonna add a simple bucket here. Nothing complicated. Uh, keep it simple for the demo and give it its unique name. Save that out. And then at this point, uh, since it doesn't have any badges, I'm gonna go ahead and add those in. Little typo there. 
and we'll add the build and the test badge here. So two of those, those are at well-known URLs, so we can always find them. And then finally, we're gonna go ahead and add a test. Uh, you can get as complicated these as, as users want, or you can keep them simple. In this case, I'm gonna keep this one pretty simple. Bottle three, just checking for the bucket. Uh, nothing too, too crazy. And throw a couple of certs in there, because what good are tests without asserts? So that if this doesn't work, we at least see the failure uh, in the test stage. And we're gonna go ahead and commit that code here. In a second. <laughs> there we go, we'll add it and then we'll commit it with a, a nice easy message. There we go, so pushed it up, and let's just do a quick check that we get a, uh, that we actually have some changes up there. There we go, those are the three files we modified, add it. And we're gonna switch over to the GitHub UI here. And we're gonna go ahead and create our pull request. So this is the developer perspective. If you'll notice, we haven't done anything weird for them. I think many of you are probably familiar with this, this process, working on other projects in GitHub or wherever. And just to keep everyone from merging it accidentally. <laughs> and here you can see, right away, we've got the stays check. Uh, so we've done it so that you can't just do whatever you want until the build has succeeded or failed. Uh, so here the user just kind of, the developers have to wait and everyone can make comments. And if we come over here, here's the pipeline. It's got a few stages, source, uh, that was the S3 bucket I mentioned in the, in the architecture slide. That just code pipeline picks that up really nicely, gets it done. Uh, invoke watchers, our watchdog, that's just the lambda that kicks off the step function. We have a little cleanup before, because sometimes we might think, have things laying around, we wanna get rid of all that, so that's just like a pure delete of the stack if it's there. And we have the linter process, as well as test and, um, and a cleanup at the end. Uh, here's the invoke, it's just kicking off the step function. And then we're gonna go over here to another browser, show you the, the step function in action. It's already going, it's already done a few loops, uh, the retry state. And you can see some output there already. Okay, so I'll uh, make it so we can keep seeing that, uh, that step function continue. The linter, uh, this is CFN nag basically. Uh, we use a code build to run this and I'll show you that here. Uh, we have a special image that we just create to house the software we need. And there's a sample pattern getting the linter running right now. And you can just look at this in the tools. We, uh, this is a fairly new ad for us, but uh, something I want to share with you. Uh, this CFN nag does uh, quite a bit of security checking and static code analysis for you. And just, you know, your standard code build output, nothing super exciting there, but all your lint output gets out there and, and you can collect that up in, into a file, which is what we do. And then once that's finished, it will kick off the before stage now, which it's, like I said, just a real simple cleanup to make sure nothing's in the way because CloudFormation doesn't like when you 
use duplicate names. <laughs> so if we come across an error stack, we just need to make sure we get rid of it in there. And the step function's still going. It uh, does a good job of keeping going until things are done. And finally, this is where we're actually doing the deploy. Uh, this is just a CloudFormation step in the code pipeline. Nothing, nothing crazy. We got the parameters here. We've got the, the, the YAML or the JSON. And then and a look at the actual output. We take this output and uh, roll it into a file for users to look at later into a build log. And then once that wraps up, we'll get into the test stage. Get a little refresh there. Well, there, it's completed, so just showing that. <laughs> and we'll get it now. There we go. Now it's wrapping up. So there we have our stack deployed. Now we can execute our tests. Uh, these are the Python tests, the additional user ones. That we just capture into a file as well for users so that we can always expose and they can always come back and fix whatever they need to. And here's just the CloudWatch output. We're just grabbing standard out. Uh, there's no need for really anything else. We're not trying to make a fancy UI. We're just trying to make a usable system. And then finally, after the test's complete, we clean up. In a successful case, it would go through the cleanup and everything would be deleted. Uh, and uh, we wouldn't have to run through uh, a cleanup later. Let's go back here. We'll look at the step function again. Okay, I guess we're doing this. There's a delete. Okay, now it's deleted. And we're gonna look at the step function again. Uh, so now we're just waiting to see that success fail so that we can wrap up our build process. And now we're seeing the success state, everything, all the stages are green, that's what we like to see. Everything's happy. And then we're gonna get down to a couple more lambdas are called here. Here's a commit final state. That's actually the ping to GitHub right now. That is saying, given the green checkbox, saying this build was good uh, on the status API. And then finally, it's a send notification state. That is the build message to Slack. And I'll show you what those kind of look like uh, in a minute here. And that's it right there. The build is finished. There's a step function, lots and lots. Of, it just keeps going. <laughs> that scrolls for days sometimes, depending on how long your templates can be. But it also is nice because you don't have any timeout issues or uh, having to build any specific things yourself there. And then we're going to go back, look at the GitHub here. All the checks have passed. You can have multiple checks here, but we just have the one. Uh, now I'm able to merge or do whatever I need to at this point. Uh, maybe I get a review, someone telling me my bucket's named wrong or something, and I deal with that. And then we mark that details link. That kind of comes with the commit state, and we give people just a little simple UI here. Um, nothing complicated, just enough to get them to the logs and figure out what they're able to, uh, to debug and things like that. And to get a look at the build log, This is just output coming from the CloudFormation stack output. Nothing, nothing too complicated. A little bit more about the, what repo it came from. And then the linter results, which 
I think we, yeah. So we do have a failure. We have a warner. Right now, we're not failing the linter stage because that's pretty new for us. We want to see how it works for us before failing every build. Uh, clearly, I should get rid of those stars there. I wasn't being a good developer. And test results. Um, we would see any of the errors, the stack dump, whatever we would need to see at this point if uh, something failed within the test phase. And back over here and take a look at some of the badges. So those weren't there before. We went ahead and add them. Uh, we're passing. We had three tests. All the tests passed. Uh, those would change uh, accordingly if it was a build fail or our tests didn't execute successfully. Uh, we'd update that and make them red, basically. And then a couple more things. Here's what the build message looks like. That was actually for that uh, demo. Went ahead and grabbed a snapshot out of that, some links to help people find things within Slack. And then here's what a release one looks like. Uh, we pinned them to the latest version and let people know. It tells you who you can talk to about that as well, but I've got that blurred out there. And you notice we're linking to other information. And then we have a slash command. Uh, basically, people can type slash pattern right in Slack and then a pattern name and get information on it. Uh, release information, uh, stuff about the GitHub itself, what it actually is. Uh, this is pretty nice if you don't want to go into GitHub and just want to quick remember uh, a bit of information. And I think that was it. Awesome. Yep. Great. So we're back over here. Okay, cool. And just real quick, for those that aren't familiar with CFN NAG, that's actually a, a tool by our, our partners, uh, Stelligent, that is available up through GitHub. So if it's something that you're not familiar with and you want to take a look at, uh, you can go take a look and, and see it's, it is open source. So. Sorry. OK, so in all this, what did we learn? Um, it, was, it was definitely a learning experience. You saw we went through quite a few ways of managing our infrastructure as code. Uh, we hit a few snags. So first thing is, keep it simple. I think that's pretty obvious for any type of complicated system or whatever. If you keep it simple, you can solve whatever you need to down the road. You don't need to cross every bridge and, and get every feature. Just get that, that build going, you know? It, get, it, get it verified. That's real important. Stay flexible with the solution. And this kind of comes after keeping it simple. If, if you can't modify it, uh, then users are never going to get the features they want because they will ask you for things. <laughs> um, so keep loosely coupled. Don't, don't try to tightly couple every little piece. Uh, you know, stay async and sync when it makes sense. Uh, that way you're not, you're, you're not stuck in a corner when, when the users say, I want this crazy feature. You're actually going, oh, I can do that. And finally, people don't want more work. They've already got enough work. So if you want them to come and contribute and have that adoption uh, just scale right up, you got to make it part of it. Keep it frictionless, right? Um, if, if you told me I had to get a CLI and I had to do this and I had to do that, I would just walk away and keep using my laptop and GitHub with my own personal spot to, to get my job done. And that has happened. But uh, we're, not, we're not seeing that so much anymore with the new system. And it does take a little time is the other thing I would say. So if it's not more work, people will, will uh, find a way to onboard slowly to it. And then with that, we got some time for Q&A. If anyone wants to ask any questions, happy to answer on the system. I think we do have a, a couple of microphones out there in the mix, too. So if anyone has any questions about uh, the infrastructure uh, that Jer Jerome's uh, described, sort of the processes that, that go behind it, uh, or CloudFormation itself, uh, feel free. 
Um, I think the one thing that's interesting about this pattern, right, is that this is actually a mechanism for sort of building out a curated library, right, of templates. Yes. Uh, so this is actually something that allows them to sort of collaborate as a community. If someone has an idea that, hey, this is a template that I've been building that I think could be potentially useful to other people, it gives you a mechanism for doing that within the company, which I think is pretty cool. So, any questions out there? Okay, uh, we've got a question there. Yeah, you showed just a real simple process with one template and then you're launching that template. How many templates are you putting in any given repository or have you moved to one repository as one template? The answer is it depends, but primarily we keep it, we try to keep it one template to a per repository. Uh -huh. um, if, if, we, if we need it to cobble together a few, so to speak, we would, but it's kind of on a case-by-case -case basis because we're curating these. We don't want to end up with a million templates, but we want to you know, keep it simple still, so. And then are you able to have your templates actually stack on top in that model? Like have one template that builds on what another one creates? Yeah, uh, and that just depends on like if you're using outputs from another template within your stack, stack outputs or something like that, we'll do that, something like that. Uh, we've used some nested templates as well which can work out. You might have to do a little bit uh, in your pipeline to uh, deal with that nesting, but it's worked out pretty well for us. Thank you. I got a question. Hey there. Okay. <laughs> I, I, have, I have no question about the volume on the mic. Um, so you mentioned uh, parameters uh -huh. uh, briefly. I'm curious about how you handle that. Uh, for us, we're just keeping them in the pipeline right now because we want to control what parameters because sometimes they're used for naming or whatever and we don't want to have anything uh, try to step on each other. Uh, so we just keep them in the pipeline that we import from the JSON. But uh, you, could, you could go with a uh, stuffing them in the source control right next to it or something if you wanted to. Okay, so you, are you passing them in as, uh, as flags individually or you have like a parameter file that you pull in? Oh, in pipeline? No, no, in the pipeline we just keep it in the pipeline itself, right, for, for, the, for the testing and the build process. So that just gets shoved right into JSON as you import that and it becomes part of the pipeline itself. So we're not using like a, a separate external file of any sort right now. Okay, yep. thanks. No problem. First of all, thank you very much. Uh, second of all, have you shared any of this, uh, any of the code that you're using, the uh, Lambda functions or anything on GitHub, something we can uh, see? No, not at this time. Uh, something I uh, am looking into, but it's not out there in GitHub yet. Awesome. Thank you very much. Yep. No problem. A um, couple of questions. One was around, I saw that your model was you are letting developers build their own CloudFormation templates, right? Um, one of the things we have seen is that uh, because developers are not very familiar with uh, infrastructure, the adoption becomes kind of slow initially. Um, but have you thought through maybe a process where a centralized uh, DevOps team builds these templates, re reusable templates, and the developers kick the process off through like a standard like a workflow and those kind of things? And uh, part of the question was how did you enforce uh, enterprise standards. I'm assuming that some of these things were built into a VPC. Mm -hmm. uh, if you let developers do their own thing, then how did you enforce like certain enterprise standards? Because it can be pretty scary to put things in the infrastructure, right? Right, right. So um, 
yeah, that's that's a difficult problem. Developers can go do whatever they want, right? Uh, when they have full access to everything. So in the case of uh, enforcing standards, uh, you know, OIP is is our solution to enforce some of those standards, which is why we've recently added a linter into the process to prevent something from going out that doesn't meet our standards. We're still young with that part of the part of it, but we're getting there. Um, the other thing is we rely on the community. Uh, it's not just developers in there. Uh, myself, other people who are, uh, say, more versed in the security aspects of our company are in there ensuring that I'm not putting a, you know, a, a, a star dot star on things as well. So it does rely on the community involvement uh, to ensure that what gets out is actually meeting our standards for, for the enterprise. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm curious how you guys have started to work in the deployment of updates to existing resources and stacks into a continuous delivery model. Um, your, everything you talked about was a really great workflow for kind of spinning up net new stacks and going through regression against um, updates but on new sets of infrastructure. So I'm curious what you've done to kind of alleviate some of the, the traditional problems that you have when you have a very large complicated stack and you're making updates to lots of parts of it. Right. Uh, so. One Intuit Patterns isn't concerned about the deployment of these things. We have other tools for that. Um, and that's actually outside this, my area. But if you leave your email, I can get you in touch with some people that could speak to that better than I could. OK, thank you. All right, thanks. Uh, hello. Hi. Yeah, uh, I have a question regarding the security of the API exposed for the users. Mm -hmm. How do you do that, you know? How to manage this, uh, the IPA security. The pipeline security? No, the IPA. Oh. The IPA oh. security. Uh, that, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, I think that's one I would defer on. So if you want to give me your email, I can get you in touch with the yeah. right people on that one. Okay? Okay. Thank you. So are you talking about sort of the, the AWS APIs or when you say API, what do you, do you mean? Interactions with AWS yeah, APIs or, or other APIs? No, the um, oh sorry. You know, uh, on the on the architecture schema, I now say that the API is exposed for users. Mm -hmm. When you do pull work, uh, request, how you say that, how you secure that? Oh, the API gateway. Yeah. So in GitHub, your integration, uh, we use auth and and, and keys basically. Hi. So GitHub has some standard integrations on doing those things. Only keys. Only only API keys. Uh, for the API gateway, right? Yeah. We're doing it at the API level. Mm -hmm. okay. And then, of course, SSL and all your other standard bits there. Uh, <clears throat> question. Uh, so for legacy stack, right, you know, before, uh, uh, let's say, uh, organization was embracing infra's code concept, there's stack that exists. Is there uh, uh, areas where you had reverse engineered Cloud formation or templates or scripting based on what existed, which doesn't have uh, the ability to exist as code from a redeploy perspective. More so, if you had any Cards products, right, tools that ran on infra uh, in in public cloud, uh, where uh, did you use any tools or any any capability to reverse engineer so you create templates so you can go after and redeploy them as necessary? So, uh, just let me rephrase a little bit. So, are you asking if we reverse engineer the templates or if there any tools we're using for that? That's right. Uh, not that I'm aware of. Uh, that's not something I would do. Would, would, could a developer 
do something like that? Possibly. Uh, but uh, the kinds of people who are using the one intuit patterns are usually pretty versed at cloud formation templates. So they're just opening an editor and starting from scratch or copy and pasting uh, some things they've done in the past is what I typically see. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions? One of the uh, bigger obstacles that I've seen with sort of embracing infrastructure as code is uh, a lot of, you know, sort of old school infrastructure guys and people that understand code are a little bit mutually exclusive along with the subset of them that want to believe that what they do on a day-to-day -day basis isn't scriptable. How do you kind of get over some of those hurdles? <laughs> so uh, like I was saying to the, uh, I think one of the gentlemen it was briefly was uh, a lot, uh, our users tend to be far more ingrained in these things. So while they're, de they're, they're traditional developers, they're also getting their hands pretty dirty in the infrastructure because uh, they understand the application best. So uh, we don't have necessarily, you're not always just an ops guy. You may be a developer who's doing some ops side uh, work to to get the the deployment out, so you would be fairly versed in cloud formation, yeah. and we have the other aspect. And typically, we don't get where they don't know it at all. And typically, we don't get those people coming into the solution. All right, thanks. Yep. Cool. So, any other questions? Got one more. Okay, cool. One more question. Um, would you be able to talk <clears throat> a little bit about? If you guys experienced any of the challenges with multiple accounts kind of growing from that medium to incredibly large company that you guys are with other teams and how you have different uh, accounts across sub-organizations and, and then maybe even touch on like AWS stack sets if that plays any role with your existing solution at all. Um, sure. Uh, so we don't really manage the accounts in one Intuit patterns. Uh, that's up to the uh, different teams to deal with. Uh, we just provide the artifacts. So we don't deal with the account management, um, but uh, I can get you in touch with some people who can speak to that better than I could. Uh, we're just providing the artifacts so you understand. So we, we, we kind of cut ourselves off at that interface as a solution. We don't try to integrate deep with anything. And then what was, the, I'm sorry, what was the second half? Just, just with uh, in regard to uh, AWS, the CloudFormation stack sets, kind of being able to oh, uh, replicate we, those changes across multiple accounts. If you guys were doing that, and if it had any correlation with different types of uh, you know code environments, production, staging, development, if those were correlated anyway. Yep. So the the the, the different environments, just to speak, that kind of goes back to the developers and their teams are managing that themselves so we don't get involved. Um, they, you know, a VPC is a VPC and just has some different parameters so they deploy it as they need to. Uh, what we, uh, and then uh, on the stack sets question, we've been a little slow on the uptake on stack sets. We've been experimenting with them. They're still kind of new for us. We're a bigger org, so we're still, we've done nested stacks within the solution, but we have not done stack sets yet within the solution. Yeah, the cool thing about this, this sort of architecture, right, is, is the whole concept here is that um, you're providing sort of a pre-approved set of templates that then yep. the developers can then go to use to provision their environments. So that way, when they do the provisioning of the actual environments, a lot of that pre-vetting has been done, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So, so the management across multiple regions through stack sets or whatever mechanism you're going to use, it'll be a little bit easier because you've done so much vetting ahead of time. Yeah, that, that trust and confidence of what that, that JSON or that YAML I'm adding to is really the problem we're solving with this solution, not so much deployment. That's a whole different ball of wax. <laughs> yeah, hi. Uh, how do you handle uh, resources, AWS resources that, that aren't supported in uh, templates? 
that are what? That, that are not supported in templates. Uh, that? I mean, so... We just don't have them. Right, so <laughs> that, that's, that's obviously a problem. Depends on, on uh, which resources you're using, right? Yeah. Let's I say like AWS the... Cloud Search. I don't think right, there's right. support yeah. for that. And so you I want can... to spend something, uh, an instance or a domain of Cloud Search for development purposes. Sure. Yeah. So, so folks handle it a couple of different ways. First of all, the CloudFormation team itself, uh, we're working very hard to uh, decrease that gap between when a new feature or a new service is launched uh, and when it's available in CloudFormation. Um, I actually track you know, Twitter mentions of CloudFormation, and I think it's fascinating that whenever a new feature comes out, inevitably I see at least one tweet that says, if it's not in CloudFormation, it doesn't exist for me. Right? So we're trying to narrow that gap. We have uh, some new models that we're using. Some of the new services, service teams are actually using a self-service model so that they can actually integrate the CloudFormation as they're building the feature. Um, and then for the backlog, we're actually working to try and kind of reduce that time. Now, in the meantime, if you need something right now, uh, custom resources are really the, the way to go for that, right? To write a small custom resource uh, and then wrap that, to write a, a small Lambda function for your deployment and then wrap that in a custom resource. Um, we obviously know that's not the best model, that it would be nice if it was first party, but it kind of gets you over that hump uh, while we're working to try and get sort of that backlog filled. Okay. So for the, the true believers, we'll, we'll, we'll keep asking questions. We've got plenty of time, so we'll keep answering questions as long as they're there. But for the true believers that are still here, I do have CloudFormation stickers if people <laughs> want them. So what I'm going to do is not to interrupt the questions. I'm just going to put them up here on the edge of the stage, and if folks want to take one, you're welcome to. Uh, and then I'll hand them out after we're done. Um, I have a question uh, regarding wh what's your opinion about having um, CloudFormation's skill within one scrum team versus as a specialist skill within the organization? I think everyone should have cloud formation skills. <laughs> um, so from, you know, the, our, our world, uh, I've been through different phases as a developer myself, and uh, I never thought I would be here deploying infrastructure. I thought I'd always be working on apps or something, right? Uh, so, but the way things are coming together is uh, as a developer, you know, you're not going to have someone saying, hey, can you, can you rack a machine? If you're going to the cloud, you should be ready with, with that skill set and, and have that integrated into your, your app development process as well. So, yeah, everyone, every developer, I think, should probably be getting some of these skills. Hey, uh, could you talk a little more about the process for, for testing, like what that looks like and what do you test for? Uh, it's really up to the users. Uh, so in that, in my demo, I did a real simple: is the bucket there? Um, I've seen people validate that the stacks are there, different different things like that. They they might try to write to say a bucket to make sure that the the privileges are all set up as they expect it. But um, it's more about do you have a little bit of extra what you need? Our tests uh, that we do are more. The, you know, is this passing like uh, the linter security uh, stack code analysis? Does it actually deploy? Uh, kind of what a, a Jenkins would do for you in a traditional Java project. I was wondering if you could describe the GitHub pull request functionality that you have. Uh, which part of it? <laughs> well, so, does, so there's just a webhook when a pull request oh. is submitted. Yeah. It goes to API gateway and. Yep then that, does that just pull like the repo information from the information GitHub yeah. sends? So if you looked at the webhooks before on GitHub, do you, do you have familiarity yeah. with those? Yeah, so you get that big 
JSON, basically. Uh, we, we slurp that up in the, the Lambda function, and we determine where the code is, and we grab that, that code out and bring it into a zip and drop it on that S3. And then we queue it up. And then are your stack names based on the repo name? Yes. Okay. For, for the test, for when, it when people yeah. use it for deployment, obviously they don't use those. But for us, we have to have some convention on is this stack here so that uh, we can find it later and, and deal with it. Okay. Yeah, I have a question regarding the linter tool you mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, is it some open source tool or is it some custom built tool you are using? And it's, it's an private. open source tool called CFNAG. It's on github.com. Uh, uh, from Stelligent? Yeah, it's, yeah. So, so yeah, this is, it's by one of uh, our partners, uh, Stelligent, um, and it's an open source tool. It's a Ruby-based tool, um, so it has a bunch of really, really good rules sort of baked into it, and then you have the ability to extend it with Ruby code. So, uh, so I guess you guys have a combination of Ruby on the one side and Python on the other side. Yeah, yeah. So, well, the, the, <laughs> there, there are a couple other, there is like one, maybe two other tools out there. Uh, depending on what you want to get into. If you want to get into building your own grammar parser for CloudFormation, you could do something like that, I guess. Uh, but CFNNAG does a nice little blend of security out the box as well. If you saw when it, it found the star in there and said, hey, you're being bad, uh, it did a pretty good job of doing that for me. Um, but yeah, the, the extensibility is very, very simple. Uh, it's like just dropping another file there and it picks it up and goes. I should also point out that the CloudFormation itself does have some sort of simple validation built into it. There is a validate template uh, API call that you can make, and it'll go and it'll check to make sure that your template is syntactically accurate for YAML or JSON, uh, and it'll check some of the sort of the, the higher level stuff. Um, but if you want to really dig in and, and get sort of that deeper validation and think about business logic and things like that, it is nice to have a tool like CFN Mag uh, or some of the other ones that are out there. So, yeah. Uh, another. Another question is, how do you deal with uh, parameters if there is like a huge amount of parameters, let's say like 50 of them in one right. CloudFormation file? So, so all our patterns come with a big old readme. Uh, right now we're just kind of putting them in the pipeline and importing it, uh, but uh, we're, we're, we're looking at various ways to use uh, maybe another YAML file or something like that. We haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, but uh, it is something that, yeah, if we come across 50, it's kind of like we're just <laughs> typing them into the JSON and importing it, unfortunately, right now. Uh, so that's, that's kind of the downside of using it there, but uh, the upsides of everything else has been great for us. Two, two quick questions uh, over here. Oh, there you are. Um, number one is, are you deploying in the prod using all these processes? The, am I deploying the system in the prod or deploying for users? Are you deploying the systems in prod using all these? No, all we're not, we don't deploy for users at all. Uh, they, they've got their own account. Uh, so if you say like Mint or TurboTax or someone would come along, they would grab these and deploy them themselves. And we'd say VPC 2.x or whatever, this is the one you want. So go forth. So one interesting pattern you could use with this, right, would be to take a, a system like this and integrate it with service catalog, right? So these would be, then become sort of the catalog items that you could then expose for your users to be able to deploy them in sort of a controlled manner. Uh, it sounds like Intuit, they're, they're willing to give their developers a little more freedom to just take the templates and sort of deploy them using their own mechanisms. But if you were looking to build sort of a turnkey solution, that would be the thing that you would put at the end of this. And that yeah, would that, be the way that, that was actually my next question. Yeah. Is yeah. How is that integrated into a service catalog today? So. Yep, yep, yep. So you could totally take these templates once they're fully vetted, 
um, and then put an extra step that would essentially register them into the service catalog as catalog items, uh, version control them there as well, and then allow your end users to be able to deploy from that. And then I'll just ask one more since I'm standing here and no one's over there. Um, <laughs> what was the learning curve? So someone asked earlier about traditional infrastructure guys saying everything I do is you know super manual and there's a thousand steps and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. What was the learning curve for you and your team and others to get to a place of comfort to do this on a day-to-day -day basis? So um, we were already pretty well versed in AWS, and we were all using GitHub already. So for us, it wasn't so much a learning curve. Uh, these are pretty ingrained and into it these days, uh, so uh, they've been very supportive uh, to our developers and, and, and others in, in getting these skills and going. Um, so for me, it was just, all right, well, I had already, you know, done some serverless stuff. So I had to, for the system itself, I had to learn a bit about API gateway and things like that. But um, nothing, nothing major that, uh, as far as learning curve, I think I had done a lot of that learning uh, previously as well as our other team because we're very cloud focused on our team and have been for a while. And then other developers are, yeah, I mean, some people have to pick up CloudFormation uh, over the, the time frame that I was showing you, but they've been picking it up really quickly. And they already know how to manage source control, if you know, so we didn't take them out of their tools. We keep them in the tools they already know, rather than putting them in a tool of our own. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Well, thank you all for coming. Uh, thank you, Jerome, for sharing this, this infrastructure. Very much appreciate it. And I do still have stickers up here in the front if folks want them. So.